Hey yo, Johnny Dumas here, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire, and welcome to Team Engineer. If you're looking to lead a team of engineers or engineer your team for greatness, tune in now with your podcast hosts, Jade Green and Kyle Probert, and be prepared to ignite. Oh, I didn't. We didn't get the full jam out of that one, Kyle. <laughs> didn't get the full rock on. So now we're looking silly because we're grooving to it. Because we're like grooving to our own beat. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I usually groove to my own beat. Let's be honest. Oh, well, good afternoon, good evening, good morning, depending where in the world you are watching us today. This afternoon, as always, you've got me, Jade Green, and my amazing co-host is that way, Kyle Probert. And we are going to jam on all things about engineering the team of your dreams. So this is the Team Engineered Podcast. Today we've decided to talk about a topic that we've been threatening to talk about for, I don't know, about a year. We've been talking about talking about extreme, talking about talking about extreme ownership. And I'll give you some extreme ownership right now. We are a little late getting started today because all the tech had a heart attack and we didn't do well, we thought we'd done the planning to test all the stuff beforehand, but we know whenever we're going to go live, something's going to fuck up. So we're live now. We're ready to rock and roll. Kyle, you said to me you've been having some interesting conversations today that's going to lead into this. I have, but I think before I get to that, it's it's sort of given us a segue into a really interesting point on this. So I guess firstly we should talk about extreme ownership, which comes from the book, Extreme Ownership um, by Jocko Willink Willink and Leif Babin. Yes, Leif Babin, that's it. Oh, my God. I I always forget the second one. So sorry, Leif, if you are listening, I am sorry because you most definitely shouldn't be left off. Um, So it's a book. It's all about uh, two really high-level military guys who talk about extreme ownership of everything in your world. So... I think the tech thing is a really, really good example. And I can remember um, quite a few years ago when I first, um, I actually listened to the book. I didn't I didn't read it. And for me, that's quite different because I, I prefer to read. But I actually listened to this one and I'm so glad I did because um, both of those guys read passages out of that book, um, like a significant amount of it. And I think without that, you just would not get the same story. It, you know, like it... Um, I know some of those stories chilled me to the bone, absolutely chilled me to the bone. So really had a big impact. But I was sharing with um, with a person that were, you know, I guess I would probably describe as a partner. So they were a customer, but they were a supplier, you know, not they weren't just a customer, they weren't just a supplier. So they were both. Had a really good working relationship. He's he's moved on to a different role and in a different company that doesn't match with us anymore. And um I remember we we were on a trip down to Sydney and I was talking about this really cool book, you know, you've got to get on it, get on it. So he did. And then I remember talking with him a few months later and he's beating himself up and he went, like, everything's my fault. (laughs) Okay. So we've got to pair it back a little bit. And the concept of extreme ownership is certainly not about everything being your fault because as we just experienced with technology and um, yeah, my friend Tashi, she was, she was trying to work out her technology this afternoon as well for a three thirty start. And unfortunately that worked all day 
everything was running smoothly it's been tested it's been tested we're all happy and then it falls apart so at times the extreme ownership is well i actually did everything i could <laughs> mm. it was against me so i guess the point of all of that is extreme ownership is taking ownership for your part in everything and jade you always say where was i at cause yes yeah it's it's where was i at cause and what could i have done it's really funny because i was listening i was actually listening to jaco and lee's second book this morning um which is the dichotomy of leadership and Ooh, they said oh well actually i was listening to the blinks as a recap and the the reason why they wanted to do the follow-up book is a lot of people thought that extreme ownership meant you had to be extreme in everything and it wasn't about being extreme and everything they're kind of like oh wait i think maybe they didn't take it the right way and so it's like the it's it's the follow-on and i'll talk a little bit later about the dichotomy of leadership because i think that that's um a really interesting facet of the sort of line of thinking we're going on but definitely where are we at cause and as you know Kyle, when we do the reflection sessions on a friday uh with all of our um our clients it's like okay so what worked this week what didn't work um, and where were you at cause for both it succeeding and for maybe it not going as well as you want? And it can be as simple as I was at cause because I reacted rather than responded or I was at cause because I ate shit food and I crashed and maybe I didn't make the best decision. Or like I could say with my tech right now, I'm at cause because we I've been on the, the system for what's that now? At, nearly probably seven, eight hours on, on my computer and it hasn't had a break. It's been Zooming the whole time, cameras, everything going. I pushed the podcast back to do a kid's handover and drop off and what I could have done, knowing that this has happened in the past, is restarted the computer while I was gone. Yep. And so I can go. It may not have solved the problem. It but may it, not. At least <laughs> you, you've, you've identified one more thing that next time might stop it. And that's, I guess that's the key key thing there, isn't it? It's not it's not about beating yourself up and going, oh, should I? I should all save it, should all over myself. But going, yeah, well, okay, should all over myself next all the time. time. <laughs> <laughs> I think all of us do. And um, my you know, my friend, my colleague that that was going through beating himself up, that's that's where he got to, you know, you're shooting all over himself instead of identifying, well, it's not about beating yourself up and saying, I should have done that. Oh, but more about, okay, now I could have restarted the computer and, you know, maybe that would have given it a break, given it a, a reboot and it would have been good. Or, um, you know, it, it's not it's not just, oh, I should have done that. It's the risk medic. It's the most important thing of the reflection of where was I at cause and taking extreme ownership is how can I use this knowledge to mitigate risk moving forward or to duplicate results. So if it was a positive result, how do I replicate that? So how do I re reduce risk or how do I replicate good results? And if you don't take the time to reflect and if you don't take ownership and ownership, sometimes some people, like I have a client that specifically said to me, I'm really bad for recognizing or giving a pat on the back when something's gone right. And I just steamroll forward. He said, so if you think I'm disinterested, 
if we're moving forward and I'm saying what next, what next, what next, then you know that I'm happy and I'm I'm content with what the work that I've done. But it's super important for us to be able to reflect and recognize the good as well to be able to replicate it. Otherwise, you know how people say, oh, I just got lucky. Well, actually, if you didn't, if you thought about it and high performers just got lucky, it's like, actually, no. Well, if I look at it, I've, I had been going to the gym more regularly or I, I had been sleeping more or I've start, I had been, oh, I'd actually been meditating and, oh, I've been doing this journaling thing. And then you look at it and you're like, oh, actually, I did put myself in control. And, and we know. That's the extreme bit. Yeah. That's the extreme bit. It's not, it's not about doing all of those things to the extreme, but the extreme bit is identifying that every little thing plays a part in the success or the unsuccess. Let's not call yeah. it failure. Let's call it unsuccess or the learning. learning. Maybe we should Fail call forward. it learning. Yeah. <laughs> in the Fail learning. Forward. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and, and learnings, really yeah. It's a really good point that you brought up there and, um, I've noticed this um, with with soccer teams and and kids soccer teams in particular, where um, you know two teams playing back to back, and both teams lose eight or nine nil. Now in soccer, that's 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 pretty that's pretty big numbers, and you know the first team comes off and at halftime their coach has given them the rev up, the typical boom boom boom, come on, we can do this, we got this. But with a very negative undertone. And then the second team goes on and loses exactly the same. But their coach at half time is going, Now, this was fantastic, guys. You did this and it was amazing. And you did this bit and it was awesome. And, you know, all of this and, 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 and a, and a generally positive, upbeat vibe. Now, they did a million things that were wrong. But what he did is he found the bits at the right time that were right and gave them the boost, and they played a much better second half, and then they came off the field laughing and cheering. Because what you so reward gets repeated. Yeah. So, And they, some they people don't off... realise, sorry, just on that sorry. part, like some people don't realise, especially uh, depending on where someone's at in their emotions and their cycle, even bad feedback can be seen as a reward. If someone's craving being seen, craving being given feedback, children or staff members team members alike if if the thing that's if the, the thing that's happened is the thing that gets them the reward that they want that's what's going to get repeated like we see that with young kids that don't know how to reconcile throwing food on the floor that's trying to get attention they don't know what they're trying to do oh that got me attention do that again yeah. And for, for some people, for some adults, it's exactly the same thing. And it's not necessarily a manipulative behaviour that they're trying to exhibit. And it's not necessarily um, a deliberate act. But without realising they're craving some attention or some some sort Connection. of feedback even, just mm -hmm. feedback. And, you know, what, what they're doing is their, their behaviours modelling things that just get them some sort of attention. Mm. Now, as I say, it's not necessarily a manipulative thing or a conscious thing. It's just that um, the brain's going, you know, I need some attention. I need this. I need some feedback from the world. Mm. And how, how can I get it? I'm going to throw a brick through a window. Yeah. I'm going to break things. No, no. Let, let's not. But, you know, and it, and it could be, um, you know, doing something that's not quite perfect in their work so that someone has to take the time to talk to them. Mm. 
and so many so much of that can be unconscious and uh, we could we've labeled it as a a lot of the time it gets labeled as attention but it's actually someone's human need of connection and they're like how and and so that's why it doesn't matter if it's positive or negative it's the connection with another human that they're seeking and that's where we do see people potentially yeah leaving things out or needing a little bit more help because their their humans needs not being satisfied and if it especially if it's especially if outside of the workplace that need is really being unfulfilled that might be the only place that it can get fulfilled and we're kind of squirreling on the topic there but this is why it's so important for you to build human connections with your team members that isn't just about do do the job get the task done meetings are about ticking things off the to-do lists and we've talked about like the kicking of asses and stuff but but it is about that that human connection because if you can help satisfy that human need then the less desirable behavior doesn't need to show up definitely definitely and if we if we go to the ownership part of that the ownership part of that is identifying whether you are fulfilling the needs that you need to fulfill in your team so you know, as, as you said, it's not just rolling into the meetings and kicking people and it's not just rolling into the meetings, ticking things off a list and all of that sort of stuff. And I, like, I, I know, I, I 100% know that, you know, I'm, I'm on a, on a schedule of, you know, I've got, I've got an hour for this meeting. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And you do, you, f- you forget about the, the other things that probably need to happen because you're wrapped up in, I've got to get this done. Like we've, we've got all of this stuff we've got to deal with. Let's get it. Let's just, Come on, let's go, 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 go. And what actually everyone else needs to be able to do well is five minutes at the start to talk about something different. Mm. Yeah. And I think just we're recording this when most of uh, Australia is in full lockdown, New Zealand's in full lockdown, Um, other parts of the world, maybe not so much, but especially we see with people doing Zoom meetings, it's kind of really clinical like get in, get the thing done, get off. And the piece that's really missing, like especially those that are used to being in an office and being connected, if they're all stuck at home and they've got no outside connection anymore and the only time they have an opportunity to connect is clinical, imagine what that's doing and, like, we can see what it's doing to people's um, emotional health and, and mental well-being and things like that. And I think that leaders need to realize, did we talk about, we didn't talk about this on this podcast, but I think we talked about it on our, um, on our Build a Kick-Ass team call on Wednesday, that, um, that sometimes the purpose of the meeting isn't about just clearing the hurdles and, and getting that shit done. The purpose of the meeting might be purely around connection so that the mental health of the person and the, that side of things is there because that's going to actually make them more productive and able to problem solve better when they come off of that call or even have then the um, safety and security, the trust that they can reach out to somebody else for help on the, on a task or say that they're stuck because if they feel insulated and they feel like everything is just bang, 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 the, the trust that it's okay just to reach out to somebody else and go, hey, could you help me with this? Because if you're in the office, you might just walk around and tap someone on the shoulder and go, could you just have a quick look at this? But it feels like a little bit more intrusive to be like, yo, can 
like I send you a Zoom link and then can you get into the Zoom link and then couldn't you have a look at this? Like it feels more intrusive where it, it shouldn't. And I think some of the tools like, yeah, yeah. This, so in the in the last couple of weeks where we've, we've had these lockdowns, I've been consciously um, encouraging the team to just jump on a video chat when they've asked me for help. And, yeah, you know, they'll, they'll send me a text message, hey, I need a bit of help with this. And um, so we, we use Google Chat and Google Meet and, you know, the whole the G Suite stuff. And so it allows me to just drop a link straight in there, click on it, no matter what device they're on, they, they're, they're on a video link. Makes it that little bit more personal, but it also means that, okay, can you just show me what you're looking at? And they can share their screen straight away. And it's like looking over their shoulder and, and talking through things with them. And it just makes it that little bit more personable and personal, um, but it was it was a, a conscious decision that um, this is going to be more connective in the mm. team, even if it's just one on one, so that we can all sort of stick together through this crazy lockdown. Yeah, yeah, and I like people have probably heard us on the podcast before talking about every which way you can making sure that you do it with a video call or at least a voice memo rather than just the text that can be a misread. Like, because if, if the context isn't taken, but the humanizations taken out of it and any which way that you can keep the human connection going um, is far better for everyone involved, not just your team, but your orbit, your, your, your family, your siblings and things like that as well. Like my sister and I will just video call each other when we're putting our makeup on in the morning. Uh, <laughs> see, the only time we hardly even get to no, hardly even look at each other. We're like, I'm doing my mascara, and Lux is like, Auntie Jade, look at this. And I'm like, uh huh, mid mascara. Hang on, hang on, darling. <laughs> but it's I, so much more. I don't normally more. have to worry about the mascara bit. Ah, uh, but the hair, I know it takes that a while. Oh, it takes yeah. ages to get the hair done. It takes forever, <laughs> forever. Um, <laughs> I know we've talked on the the putting the onus on the leader for um, how we can set our team members up for success as well. But when we look at extreme ownership and, and that ownership piece, again, where are we at cause, it is really looking at the individuals in our team and maybe putting ourselves in their shoes to be able to go, what's the ownership I can take to help them to really step up, like, you know, I, I don't know if it was in Extreme Ownership or another book I was listening to, but basically if you've got a team member that keeps getting things wrong, is it the team member's fault or is it your fault? Yep, definitely. And that, that's the ownership bit, isn't it? That's that's the bit where, you know, have, have I given them enough information? Am I, have, they, have I set them up for that success with everything that I can provide? And sometimes the answer is no. You know, like sometimes the answer is no, you have not done everything that you should have. You've made a whole bunch of assumptions about what they should or shouldn't be able to do. And here we are, the job hasn't happened. And look, I know I've been guilty of it way too many times, um, whether it's not enough description. You know, Brene Brown talks about paint the picture of success. Don't just describe it. Don't just draw it. Paint the picture. Paint every detail so that everyone understands. And it you know, um, we talk about profiles a lot. And, you know, for me, that that star creator, you know, for me, it's like, go, go, go. I've already got the picture. I know what the picture looks like. And I don't need to give you all those details. You just need to do this. Um, but the extreme ownership bit is that I need to actually slow down and paint that whole picture for them because all those fine details help them fill out the bits that I haven't explained. 
Yeah. It takes me over. I, again, I'm not sure if it was an extreme overshot or the dichotomy of leadership now, but it's the same authors, same sort of theme. Um, but it comes back to that did they get like why are they struggling? And it's usually because we haven't given the why. And the example in the book is um, Jacques O'Hare told the, the whole team to learn how to reprogram their radios to army frequency. And I think it was actually Leith, was it, or Chris Babin, I think that gets saved. Um, and so they end up finding themselves in friendly fire and they've had to reprogram the radios to be able to save their comrade Chris from from friendly fire. But what had happened was he told them all to do it, didn't tell them why, left them to their own devices, and they were just about to go out on the mission that night, come back, and he's like, have you all done it? No one's done it. And the tone of the book is he made sure everybody did it. Um, But the reflection piece was he didn't explain why it was important. So if they don't understand the why, especially for the different profiles, I think we've touched on this before, if they don't understand the reason why behind it, their motivation to do it or to do it at the level that you would want it executed at won't be there because it's kind of like you just chucked another task on my plate. Whereas if you can paint that picture of success but then layer it with, okay, this is what success looks like and why that's important and how that fits into the next piece of the puzzle, Once they've got that, and Simon Sinek's always start with why, but once they're enrolled in that, then they understand the consequence of not doing it and not doing it on time or not doing it, not executing at the level that you needed effectively done by. In the book it's described as commander's intent. Ah. I think that's how they describe it when when they're using it is, um, so, you know, we're talking about paint the picture. I think they're talking about the commander's intent. What's the intent <laughs> the commander has on that? That's a good point to pause there. You seem to have the wrong one. I've been waiting for you to cheers me. <laughs> I don't want to be rude. So while, while we are doing a cheers. <laughs> I love this. Kyle's always got beautiful butterflies and nice things in the background. And I've, like, got the, the man as man cave that I could build. <laughs> and and by me build, I mean my poor broken legged boyfriend that did it for me on a knee scooter because he knew how badly. I was like, no, must have nice thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I don't um I don't hide away from uh the stuff that my kids do for me. So um yeah, it's it's an integral part of who I am and I'm happy to share that with the world. There's no point in being embarrassed by a few butterflies around the place. <laughs> There is nothing to be embarrassed about there. Um, There was something I wanted to anchor in on, though, when you were talking about the value of be awesome. The thing that was super important that I think when those values, virtues got rolled out, (laughs) virtues were rolled out, that's my own own teaching, failing, uh, is (laughs) that, but that you did go through and explain what be awesome meant and that it, and you really did give them the permission and the ownership over what that meant to them. And every single person got to have input into what Be Awesome meant and not be like be awesome in terms of in the office as a team member, in in the training room or on the client site, 
um, being there as a trainer and what it meant also to them in their orbit and, like, for Scott, being out in the scouts and con contributing to the community and what being awesome actually meant to them rather than just going, okay, here's an epic word on the wall that we're going to tell our clients, we're awesome, pick us. Yeah, you know, we we just touched on virtue and value there, and I think that's that's a key point between value and virtue. Is you know, value means that you come to work and you do this, and this is how you're awesome. Whereas as a virtue, it's like, well, we encourage you to go and be your own awesome. We encourage you to get out in your community and be a part of your community and do something awesome for your community or your family, or your friends. You know, it's I think that's a key difference between the the value side of come to work and do this and be awesome like this mm. and exclude people from, you know, the, the click <laughs> as opposed to be inclusive in all of that with a virtue. And mm. this is how we strive to it. Yeah. We, we were talking about this earlier in the week um, in the kick-ass team group and um, talking about how the virtues are uh, different or applied differently for everyone, you know, mm. every, you know, planet plus, you know, for for some of us, Planet Plus is um, you know buying recycle uh, recyclable um, cleaning products and and you know no, zero waste stuff and all you know like to to some extent a, a little extreme on it. Whereas for someone else, it's about recycling things that they'd normally put in the bin. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It, everyone's still marching towards that same common virtue about improving or having a challenge to be a little bit better in looking after our planet or being awesome or growth mind or whatever the actual virtue is. Yeah, I love that because the other thing you said was, again, it didn't need to be to the extreme. Like being Planet Plus didn't mean we're hugging all the trees and we're buying biofuel cars that are run on old chip yeah. fryer fat. Uh, it's about just having that awareness of how could I do something a little bit more Planet Plus? How could I do this just that little bit better? How could I maybe not waste as much, like not grab the cling film and wrap it all the way around the container and then seal it? You know, it, it, it's just about having something that we can march towards and the team the team has taken it and, and run with it. And what, what it's given them is a consistent and constant reminder to try and do things just a little bit better that we all want to do a little bit better to change the whole world. So, um, you know, every, every time that they do something, it sort of gets filtered through the lens of these virtues before a decision's made, which is really, really cool. Yeah, really cool. Where have you seen, uh, like, what's an example of extreme ownership in action on, say, a job site? Ooh. Oh, geez, that's... <laughs> I think it's all about saying it was me and um, I, I, I know that when I've, I've been involved and um, when I've had teams running that I've always tried to sort of go, okay, if, if this isn't working, what have I done? What do I need to change? You know, what, what do I have to do? Not what, what have they done, but what do I have to do? So, um, you know, it can be something as simple as um, has the team got access to water because it's a really hot day and, you know, they're beating their backsides out, but they're making mistakes just because they're hot and thirsty and tired, exhausted. You know, and, and it can be something as simple as that. 
and, and it seems like a really silly thing, but yeah, did I make sure that um, the team had water bottles with them or can I, can I get someone to run out there and, and look after them while they're yeah, down in the, oh, when we were working on a, on a machine here in Newcastle on a ship, like 40 degree days outside and you're down in the hull of the ship, it's bloody hot. <laughs> Yuck. And like you don't want to come out because it's too hard to get out of there so how do i make sure that the team is still performing as well as they can just by doing simple things like that yeah other things can be um and and like i think my team probably look at me a bit funny and um and it i guess it's a, a cultural thing oh we, you know we kind of need this tool to be able to do the job a bit better or easier or quicker okay let's let's get it let's do it Oh, oh, but no, let's, <laughs> let's do it. Let's like, why do something that's harder for twice as long and over and over and over again, when we can just buy the tools to do the job properly. And I think, yeah, that's probably two examples that, that can be applied to just about any team in the world is, you know, are they, are they looked after from a, you know, a needs point of view, but have they got all the right tools, you know, like, what don't don't leave them hanging don't don't leave them with the wrong tools because at best it makes the job harder at worst it's a safety issue um and i suppose then if you were to look at that i know most of the time you've tried to explain it and that but we could then go okay extreme ownership what else what else or what other way could i maybe try to explain this to them so they understood like maybe looking at their personality, like the profile type of those people. It's like, what do they need to see or how do they need to see something presented to be able to make a better decision? How could I paint maybe the picture of like the worst case scenario um, or like, do you know what I mean? They might use, they might need to see data or they might need to have a story or an anecdote or an example even of where we've seen this in the past now, I'm not saying that's always going to work and lots of the time you've tried it already, but often we can stay, take one step back and go, actually, let me look at all those elements, like the behaviour types, the decision-making, the action dynamic, and is the way that I'm trying to present the solution the way that they can understand it? And doing what we've always done, if that doesn't work, what's that called? Insanity insanity yes <laughs> now, charlotte asked this question of my team last week i think it was was what was something you wish you'd learned about fluid power earlier in your career and i i started to answer that question and i had these technical things and i was like oh, i wish i'd known these and i went you know what actually i wish i had the skills to explain what i knew to the people that didn't actually understand it and, you know, as, as a tradie and particularly as a young tradie, I kind of, I guess my, for me, I've worked around, I've been around hydraulic systems since I was this big. And, you know, as, as much as I, that doesn't necessarily make you an expert, it does give you a depth of experience that just can't be bought. You know, be, being around it, hearing the stories, being in the workshop since you're five, by the time you get to 25, you've actually got quite a depth of experience that you just don't realize. And if I had the skills when I was a young tradesperson or even an apprentice and not just a loudmouth gobby apprentice, I probably could have saved 
a lot of heartache, a lot of hassle for people around me because I was able to explain what was going on in a way that they could understand rather than them hearing me say words and going, yeah, what would you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was my fault. And and in hindsight, I look back at that and I go, well, that was me. I, I obviously wasn't explaining that very well at the time. It was like, look at these frigging idiots. Why won't they listen to me? Monkeys. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Um, well, I think the, the, what's, what's one thing that you could maybe tell a team member, like someone that's sitting in a team, they feel like they haven't got their leader listening to them. How could they take ownership over a situation? What do you think some of the things that say either an, an apprentice or a younger person or someone that doesn't have the brand equity with the leader as yet, and they feel like they're not listening what could they do to take ownership and step up so it, it's about understanding that um people don't necessarily hear and that you need to take extreme ownership of the communication process so <laughs> charlotte did a really really good course with our or a presentation with my team on communication and owning communication process and the conversation that i had today and someone's over here giving me the bird like this because we spoke about this i think the key part is understanding that no matter what the message is and no matter who the person is you're giving it to it's still your responsibility that they understand the message <laughs> do you know what's really funny I had a little conversation with uh, the kids yesterday afternoon when I picked them up and they, they, they were talking about how they don't, sometimes they don't feel heard or this, that and the other. And I said, okay, well, what what do you think's happened before you're not being heard? How, what's happened or how are you speaking or what was the tone that may have put the other person on the back foot or got their back up or turned them into wall just know what what do you think could have been done and then I went through to explain the same thing it's like it's not it's not the responsibility of the person receiving the information to get it right like so it's 100% their responsibility we have to think about how we're communicating if we want the message received and received in a way that gets the result that we're ultimately trying to get <laughs> So is this the little segue you told me before that we had that this you had a little, little conversation segue. just before this call? <laughs> and <laughs> it did play out and, and I've got someone pulling faces at me at the moment about that. So I can like, imagine this, that face. This was too. an amazing conversation to have because it leads straight into what I'm going to be talking about this afternoon. <laughs> and so the the first thing is to actually, you know, in, in anyone in that situation, if you're if you're if you haven't got the brand equity as you spoke about with that person whoever that person is for them to feel that you're authoritative on this this topic then it's your responsibility to understand that you need to get the message right in the right way at the right time so that they can actually understand it and there's there's a lot of layers to this and um as as you start to peel those layers back there's a lot of light bulb moments that you might find um, so timing's the first one, and you just spoke about that with the kids. If you've just been yelling and screaming at each other, there is no point trying to deliver a message. 
And you know, for kids, that that's very, very hard because they've just had this big blow up and they don't realize that I'm not being heard because I'm just not being heard when actually you're not being heard because you've, you're in this heightened state, which means everyone else is in this heightened state, so no one's listening. And the message just can't, it's not going to penetrate. You just, you might as well, you, well, the, the example that I gave was um, Bondi Rescue last night. You know, the, the lifeguards walked up to this um, Korean lady and went, um, your children nearly died. And she went, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the words weren't getting in. So, you know, the first thing is the timing bit. Mm -hmm. Then you need to think about, um, and and again, this is this is the ownership bit. How does this person receive communication? How do they learn or how do they communicate? And, you know, lot, lots and lots of people like to talk. Lots and lots of people won't hear a word that's said. <laughs> and I know for me, if I, if I need to make a decision, if I need to really understand something, I have to read it. That's, um, you know, and, and it's a bit of a confliction for the, the star creator thing, because um, I'm also happy to fly off and, and, you know, fly by the seat of my pants. But if I, if I actually need to understand something I, and I know I need to understand it and I, I need to get the right information, I have to read it. So it doesn't matter if, so, if someone wants to speak it at me, it doesn't matter. You, you might as well be speaking in Korean because I'm not going to hear it. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's delivering the message in the right form. So for me, if you, if you want me to truly understand it, write it to me, you know, for Jade, if oh. you really want Jade to understand it, please don't write it. <laughs> which, which I'm like, oh crap. You will, I, but I voice message you everything. Okay, new yeah. process. Okay, please send a text message to Kyle. <laughs> and and that's, you know, while while we're communicating and you know the the cognitive ability is still high. You know, I, I'm not I'm not overstressed. I'm not under a lot of pressure. There's not a really big time. You know, like the the lion's not chomping at my my feet. I can process audible or I can vote process visual, um, you know, it, it's not a problem. But as soon as there's that heightened state, I have to read, you know, as, as soon as there's any sort of pressure and I, and I need to make decisions. Got it. More click up just... stocks coming your way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Add Whereas... tasks to click up for Kyle. Stuck and, and urgent. But equally, well, I, Siri thinks she's that... Kay. <laughs> But for you, it's completely the opposite. Yeah, like for, for you to try and read something significant and, and actually get it, like it, it's just not going to happen, is it? <laughs> no, but, but I, I do that. need to see, I need to see things sometimes. Like I need to, like more like, okay, show me on screen. Oh, well, you know what it's like. If I try to read, if someone tries to get me to proofread the Word document for a landing page. Back. Make it pretty into the landing page, then I can proofread. Yeah, I can see the words. Then, and, and they're like, "Why didn't you tell us all those words before?" I'm like, "I I didn't see them. <laughs> no, like legitimately, I didn't see them." <laughs> but that's that's the ownership bit is that you know as as the team member, the team members need to understand that and not get frustrated by it, 
but mm. I gave you the Word document, but the Word document meant nothing. <laughs> I, I read it. I didn't see those words. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I um, but they've but they have they've taken ownership of that now. And when we when we scope the project, they literally put in, like they send it Kyle to review because you review the word document. You don't care about the landing page, and then right, and then it comes it. back, and Mark makes it pretty, and then there's time in there, and they know how long it takes to get me. They put time in for me to review the pre thing and book Kay to sit on Zoom and babysit me to do the thing. And then it goes back and then it comes back again. Um, but they've, the team's taken ownership over that process to go, ah, oh, actually, Kyle's not going to see it on the pre thing. Jade's not going to see it if it's not in the pretty thing. We, we can work with that and manage that process. Okay. Yeah. And, it, and it works because we're, we're all communicating in the way that we need to communicate with the people that we need to hear that right message. Um, and, and it even comes back, we, we talk about the profiles, the talent dynamic profiles, and it's it's the same thing, you know, when, when we're communicating with people of a different profile, we need to understand whether they need the detail or they don't. Mm. <laughs> yeah, me. And, you know, when they're two separate, completely separate ones, <laughs> and this was the conversation we're having today, um, when they're opposite, when one's a little mm -hmm. more creative and and isn't into the fine details, and the other one is is lordy and and needs to have every single detail and then ask some more questions, it's a rub. And have it in bullet point format and the formula that goes with it that came to the result. <laughs> yep, yep. In Times New Roman, eleven point size. Because they like to read, they don't like to hear, they don't want to see a picture, mm -hmm. they want to they want to read it. Mm -hmm. So not only do they want the details, but they want to read the details and yeah. you know, more details. But what that and I guess what we um what we can forget is that that actually gives that person security to make mm -hmm. the decisions they need to make. They feel more comfortable because they're wrapped in the bullshit details. <laughs> It's going to be awesome. Let's just go. <laughs> Why don't you get it, you fucking party pooper? <laughs> <laughs> and look, I, I know. She's sitting there right now. Like, I can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think something's going to be thrown at me in a sec. <laughs> so, and, and I know I, I am 100% guilty of this and, and very, very often. I operate very, very fast. Um, heaven forbid if there's been too much caffeine put in because I operate even faster. And, you know, it's it's go, 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 go. Let's, you know, and the concept of fail forward and, and fail multiple times doesn't scare me. I'm, I'm happy to try something. I'm happy to fuck it up. I'm happy to march forward. And, you know, it just, it washes off. Yep, we fucked that up. Let's try the next one. Let's try the next one. Let's yep. try the next one. The more failures um, you have, the more, the closer you are to winning. And and for me, I'm I'm happy to operate that way. As I say, it's a it's high paced. It, it, you know, let's let's go go go. The problem is, is that I need people to do the the finishing stuff, and you know, the detail bit and the timing bit. And often those people actually need me to slow down, and that's mm. where I need to take ownership of it. They need me to slow down, give them the details, give them the timing, give them the painted picture, fill in more of the gaps. So that they can they can actually support me, so that I can achieve what I want with their. Um, I was going to say support and help, but yeah, with them 
helping me with them on yeah. team on board you know it's it's not about um i didn't want that to come out like uh the star is the the guiding light <laughs> yeah we're a team we're, yeah. we're marching together but we're doing different parts of that that role you know so yeah. someone's doing the 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 airy fairy dreaming bit and that's okay but i also need people to help me with timing and and details and and they're marching with me and equal is important yeah, hundred percent. Well, I think that was a really good recognize recognition recognition to this week. Uh, again, on that Wednesday call when we were like, "Oh, what what was making a difference for the team was that you were actually ticking tasks off in the stuck list, and that for them, like it just causes so much anxiety when a task isn't done on time." or is constantly carried forward or yep. is still in the list or, and it wasn't about, it, it had absolutely zero to do with the importance of that task, but for them that they, they didn't feel safe and secure when things, because they for them, they can't finish their day. Like for a couple of them, they cannot finish their day and go home until the to-do list is done. And when somebody else doesn't operate like that or they don't understand that's not important, that particular one, the story that they can be telling themselves is this doesn't matter to them, the, the, this isn't important, they're too busy doing other stuff and they just started assigning all of these things because if they were to leave something undone, that's what it would mean to them. And just for you to take that ownership to go, actually, do you know what I need to do? I need to even if it's just a little update in there and a and a I've looked at this acknowledgement piece that helps them move forward and gives them that sense of security and so you've taken that ownership for us and like me I I have to take ownership over the fact that I just don't get the boring shit done if left to my own devices and so Kay's taken ownership upon herself to manage up so she books time in my calendar and she just sits on Zoom with me until it's done. That's it. You're doing it. <laughs> I actually think it's good for, for us that Kay is so far away. Um, I, I, I feel that at times, even if Kay was in the country, she would still get us. Mm. <laughs> uh, Steve's, like, <laughs> Steve's like, do you just wish that Kay was like, just sit right next to you? I'm like, yes. And then sometimes I'm like some days, some days. Some days um, I feel I'd be in a lot of pain. Yes, yes. You just don't <laughs> want to do the stuff that she's going to make you do, which is usually the stuff that I've told her to make you do. <laughs> and then, and then when she can't get the result, she messages me and she's like, "Can you poke tight? Please poke Kyle." <laughs> uh, um, I want to just do a little. There was, there was one thing that I listened to this morning that it's just that it's been something that was important and it's, it kind of came up in one of our other calls this week as well, Kyle, uh, and it came from the Dichotomy of Leadership, um, which was the follow-on book, but it, it, it boils back down to extreme ownership and having to own the responsibility of doing something. But it was um, the story that I won't go into the detail of the story they tell, but basically they had to lose a man they didn't deliberately move the man, but the reflection was if they didn't lose a man and and didn't have this casualty in an in a um, an exercise they had to do a, a mission they had to do, 
then they would have potentially lost a whole platoon of the army rather than just one of their seals. And so th- when they were reflecting upon it, it was like, fuck, shouldn't have, I shouldn't have taken this mission. We shouldn't have done it. We lost one of our men. But then when they came back and looked at it and went, if we didn't lose that one man, we literally would have lost a platoon. So it the 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 story they were telling, I think it was actually to do with a mining company afterwards when they went in for management consulting, and they were saying to the the leader, he's got 680 staff on this one mine site. And they're they're gonna go under. And corporate is either gonna pull him as a leader, and he deeply, genuinely really cares about his team and all of his people. Um, but if he doesn't take action and get the budget back on track and all of that, A, they'll pull him out and pull someone in that doesn't give a fuck about the people and will be ruthless, or they'll close the site altogether and up stumps and all 680 are gone. So they they tell the story of, okay, sometimes you've got to take ownership, you've got to do the hard thing to the, the, the way you care most is to do the thing that is the hardest and you have to get, you have to lose the 80. And the, the story goes on to say like the 600 got to say they went back into profitability and it meant 600 people kept their jobs and unfortunately 80 didn't. And one of the conversations I think we were having on um, the kick-ass team call or earlier this week I think it was, was do we keep, a t- keep team members um, if they're good for culture but they're bad at their job or do we keep them when they're great at their job but they're not great for the culture? And when it comes to that, for me, I look at it and say, often say, sometimes you've got to lose the limb to save the body and you've got to cut the, the cancer out. And unfortunately, even someone who's great for culture, if they can't fulfill any part of the job, they become a cancer because it starts being either you're rewarding bad behavior, not bad behavior, bad performance, poor performance, yep. because a lot of people don't understand why it's a bad fit. And so they don't understand it. Or people start getting resentful to that person because they have to carry them. And then the person who was good for culture becomes bad for culture. But worse, the, for the person who can't keep up, it often ends up eroding at their own self-esteem and their own sense of being. And ultimately in the end, it ends up in t- literally in tears. I think Richard Branson talks about this in one of his books where um, he hired a a lady, and I've got in my mind that her name was Paula for some reason, um, but he hired her in the early days of Virgin, I think it was, um, Virgin um, Flying, um, Virgin Atlantic. And, you know, while they were really, really small, was this amazing person, did all of these things. And, you know, after five years, I think it was about five years, had grown to a position where didn't fit the company anymore. And so it's got this really strong loyalty with someone that's, you know, been there from the from the ashes or from the dust, so to speak, and, and built up and has been amazing and has done all these amazing things, but just isn't working now. Like the, the organization's changed and, and it's mm-hmm. it's all different. And so had to make the decision to let her go. And in like I just don't have anything for you. There's nothing, you know. There's no next to of duty. Yeah, it's, it's gut-wrenching. 
you know, I've got this amazing person that that's been amazing in my business, but I've just got, I'm got nowhere to go. But he goes on to say later in the book that um, they're talking, they've, they've caught up a few years later and she said, it's the most amazing thing you could have done for me. I've gone on to this amazing role. I'm working in this business. I'm doing all these awesome things. I can't thank you enough for getting rid of me. But that's it, you know, like some, sometimes people outgrow where they are, but they go on to do an absolutely amazing job somewhere else. And it's our job as a leader to recognize that to some extent, mm. but also to encourage it. Yeah, yeah. Well, this, the instance that I was talking about, the they had a bit of a conversation about it and the person actually decided to come forward and say, do you know what, It the pressure is too much in this role. I, I'm not a good fit for this role. Um, and I feel like with your support, I could transition on and, and just by having the open conversation. So I think by that leader taking onus upon herself to actually sit down and have the tough conversation and supporting and being open and transparent gave the person the opportunity to also be open and transparent. And that's something that I really love about the, um, when Reid Hoffman and Chrissy talk about tours of duty and the, that a, a tour of duty is a moral contract rather than a legal contract, but having those, setting that foundation up when they very first sign on, whether that be sign on into their, um, as a new employee or into their next role or whatever, but setting up that trust that it's okay to move on as long as your moral obligation has been fulfilled and that you have, openly have these conversations and that we know that you know not every role like this is not the industrial era anymore you're not signing on for like till death do we part (laughs) yeah um and and laying that that foundation for those conversations is is super super important and on the flip side if you have a genius a star who is amazing and you can't uphold helping them to continue to grow and succeed, it really is upon you to allow them to to move on and, and to go. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Louise just said it happened to her, deciding to move from Sydney to Newcastle. So I know Louise has had a very interesting career path and, um, you know, good or bad, we sort of grow from, from all of those experiences and, um, I think the extreme ownership of um, whether you have moved on and that's been nasty or if you've moved on and that's been good, the extreme ownership is, is that it's yours to own that that decision to move. Mm. Um, you know, if, if you want to leave on bad terms, you can certainly choose to do that. If you want to leave on good terms, then you most definitely can choose that no matter who that that organisation is. Um, you know, mm. I've I know I've had... I've had employees where they've transitioned through my business into another one. And, you know, before they even knew they had a job with me or the other company, we planned their whole career out for them. (laughs) (laughs) But we, we, we made the choice to, to bring those people in and have a good relationship with them, have a good relationship with them as they moved on, just because we wanted them in our orbit to be a part of our orbit. And that's a part Mm. of the ownership that we have to take in that. Mm. Beautiful. I think that's uh I think that's around our mic drop moments. Ooh. Don't drop the mic, they're too expensive, but, but... I know. This one, and this one's luckily on a bouncy arm now. <laughs> 
So I think a couple of key things that we sort of talked about today was that um, extreme ownership is about asking yourself, where was I at, a, at cause, either good or bad? What, what could I have done to either encourage this to happen well, or what did I do that might not? And reflecting on it so that you can either amplify the good or um, mitigate the bad. And I think we also talked about the important thing is don't use it to shoot all over yourself. Don't use it as a blame mechanism to go, oh, I should have done this, I could have done that, and beat yourself up all the time. It should be about growth. It should be about actually getting better and looking forward, failing forward rather than falling backwards, so to speak. Um, I'm not sure about what the next bit was. Um, it's really important that you just take ownership for just about everything in your world. Yeah, I think it and in every in every situation, it's really just about where can you own a decision. I think this, the second part was more around where can you, where can you own the decision. That's, that's the, the bit. That's the, that's the one. That's the one. That's it. That's the one. That's the one. Drop it there. Drop where it there. can you own the decision? So as always, ladies and gentlemen, please talk to us in the comments below, wherever you are watching, shoot us a message wherever you want to try and get in touch with us. We would love to hear what you'd like us to talk about next or in the future. Um, I'm Kyle. Next to me is the wonderful Jade. And we have been talking extreme ownership today. Make sure you subscribe wherever you see us and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Team Engineered podcast. Are you ready to build a kick-ass team, weaponize your workforce, and live an epic life? If so, connect with us at www.teamengineered.com. And while you're at it, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.